0: Well, today I'm going to preach about something I've never preached about. In fact, I've never heard anyone else preach about it before. So that might be a good thing or a bad thing. We'll see how it goes. But I want to talk about the topic of regret. The topic of regret. The Bible does not talk a lot about regret, but it does say enough. And I believe this topic is very significant. Because regret is something that affects all of us. If we are honest, honest, we all have regrets. Especially as you get a little bit older, right? Or if you're very analytical in nature. Now, the degree of our regret will depend upon the magnitude of the issue. For example, if you go get something at a restaurant and the meal of your choice doesn't come out exactly the way you like it, Uh, your regret's probably going to be pretty small about that, right? Uh, It's just a meal, and you can always go back a second time and get exactly what you want. But with other issues in life, they really are crucial parts of our lives, and they can leave a huge impact. For example, you might regret your job choice. According to a survey in 2014, it claimed that 52% of Americans are unhappy at work. So many people are unhappy at their jobs. Perhaps some of them even feel trapped at their work where they spend countless hours. Another area of regret is whom you marry. In a 2010 survey, only 63% of Americans say they would marry the same person again. So there are a lot of people who regret whom they married. Maybe they stay in the marriage but still live with regret. You might regret not having kids or regret not having more more kids. You might regret not a parenting mistake like being too strict or too lenient. You might regret not spending enough time with your children. A woman named Bronnie Ware worked as a palliative nurse working with dying patients. And based on her experience, she wrote a book called the top five regrets of the dying. And one of those regrets was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She writes, all of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. So considering the importance of work and family, can you see why regret is an important part of life? And the list of regret doesn't stop there. You might regret not staying in better touch with close friends over the years. You might regret not pursuing more education. You might regret what you actually study. Pretty tough for a young person to decide what exactly to study, isn't it? Look at the University of Connecticut. They offer over 110 undergraduate majors very likely that someone will graduate from there and regret, perhaps, that they chose the wrong major. On the flip side of that, you might regret actually getting that degree and now being shackled with tons of school loans. You might regret regret not taking better care of yourself physically. And now you have health problems that could have been avoided. You might regret handling finances poorly, like not saving enough money for retirement or emergencies, making a bad investment, or buying a house that dropped a lot in value. And we can experience things, regret for things before we become a Christian as well as afterwards. You might regret decisions in your Christian life. Maybe you joined a church and stayed in the church for years and kind of later realized that that church was unbiblical and different ways. So regret is a significant part of our life. And I would also argue it's an inevitable part of our lives. In my opinion, you can't avoid it entirely. Why would I say that? Well, when we make decisions, we never know all of the relevant facts, do we? We're not God. Or we make things based on what we know, but things change after you make the decision. And then you're sort of In that situation, we're finite and limited, and so even the godliest of Christians can suffer from deep regret. In his autobiography, Just as I Am, Billy Graham tells of an encounter with newly elected President John Kennedy, where Kennedy unexpectedly, the two of them were alone. Kennedy unexpectedly asked this question: Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Graham said, I most certainly do. Kennedy said, well, does my church, speaking of the Catholic church, does my church believe it? Graham said, they believe it, or they have it in their creeds. Kennedy said, they don't preach it. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. Graham said that I explained what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that he would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have permanent world peace. Very interesting, Kennedy said, looking away. We'll have to talk more about that someday. Moving ahead a few years later, the two met again at the 1963 National Prayer Breakfast. Unfortunately, Graham had the flu. And he wrote, quote, After I gave my short talk, and he gave his, we walked out of the hotel to his car together, as was always our custom. At the curb, he turned to me, and said, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to see you for a minute. Mr. President, I've got a fever, I protested. Not only am I weak, but I don't want to give you this thing. Couldn't we wait and talk some other time? It was a cold, snowy day, and I was freezing as I stood there without my overcoat. Of course, he said graciously. However, the two would never meet again. Later that year, Kennedy was assassinated. Graham writes, His hesitation at the car door and his request haunt me still. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? It was an irrecoverable moment. On a human level, who can blame Billy Graham? He had the flu, right? He had no idea what would soon happen to Kennedy. He thought he would have other opportunities. They had a connection. They talked. But he did not have any more opportunities. And so now he lives with deep regret. Can you identify with that? We make choices, sometimes out of ignorance, yet those decisions are irreversible, and then you have to live with the consequences. So when we take all of this together, regret causes us to live in the past, wanting to redo things, or beating ourselves up for those choices. In her book, If Only Letting Go of Regret, Michelle Van Loon says Unresolved regret is a leech that steals from our present in order to feed the pain of the past, hindering our future. So I hope you guys aren't thoroughly depressed by now. <laughs> but does God have something to say about regret? I believe he does. And I believe he would actually want us to overcome, overcome regret. Not to avoid it entirely, but to overcome it. And I believe that he gives us truth if we will only listen and practice it. So we're in the midst right now of a series called Jesus is Greater, Finding Hope in the Midst of Life's Struggles. And we've been covering topics like doubt and anger and the temptation. And we'll cover things in the future like Uh, depression and so on, areas in which we struggle in various ways. Now, I'm about to give four messages about related areas, but still distinct areas. Guilt, regret, forgiveness, and grief. Last time we discussed guilt. Guilt focuses on sinful things that we have done. Regret focuses on foolish things that we have done. Regret is not necessarily sinful, but things that we would do differently if we could have them over. I guess to put it in terms of body language, guilt would be your head is down over what has taken place because of what you have done sinfully, whereas regret would be looking over your shoulder, wishing you could do things over again. So there's overlap between the two. But there's enough of a distinction that I think merits discussion and I think we kind of understand in our everyday lives. So today I want us to understand and believe the hope that Jesus provides for regret. And I want us to give three principles to overcoming regret. First principle is to stay focused on our supreme purpose. To stay focused on our supreme purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it is to become like Christ. To become like Christ. We are to grow in His holiness, His righteousness, and His character. The goal of becoming like Christ is actually God's eternal plan for His people. It says in Romans 8:28 and 29 this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God's eternal plan for us is to make a people who would be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you see that? So in the meantime, God is weaving all of our circumstances together. For our good. Now, the circumstances may not inherently be good, and we may have regrets about them, but God uses all things for our good, and that good is becoming like Christ. We have to get that in our minds that God defines what is good, and what is good is becoming like Christ. Christ. The good is not that you make a perfect choice with every single decision that you have in life. Now, yes, we should seek wisdom from God's Word, and we should pray about our circumstances. And we certainly know that if we do those things, the amount of regret, I think, will diminish. I strongly advocate doing those things. But we will never regret, or excuse me, never eliminate regret entirely. So we need to stay focused on what it is that God defines as good and our supreme purpose and trust that in every situation, do you hear me? In every situation, even if you have deep regrets, God can and will use it for your good. As I thought about the message during the week, I I, I went back to the Mississippi River. I've never actually seen the Mississippi River, but I know it is the largest river in America, and it runs all the way top to bottom in our nation. And it is fed by many tributaries. You see the big darker blue line that runs right down the middle of our nation? You see these other tributaries? Those are actually rivers. You got the Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Ohio, and Arkansas, all of those are tributaries that feed into the huge, enormous Mississippi River. Likewise, our purpose, in my mind, is kind of like the Mississippi River. And God wants to guide everything in our life to that purpose, that it would always turn back and empty into that purpose. Are you following me? Every circumstance, every choice, whether wise or foolish, is a tributary that God can use to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how so? That sounds good, but how does that work? Well, for example, if you regret your marriage choice, God can use that experience to draw you closer to Himself. You can grow to realize that it is God and God alone who brings completion and satisfaction in your life, not your spouse. No matter how wonderful your marriage is, your spouse can never complete you. Only Christ can complete you. And you might have that mindset that I'm putting that expectation on my spouse, then it's an unrealistic expectation. Moreover, you can choose to love and to serve your spouse, even if it's not reciprocated. And in my mind, that is where we're trying to grow in discipleship and becoming like Christ, to truly love and serve people who don't even reciprocate it back to us, right? And you have that in your own home, with the person you know best in the world. You can grow tremendously through that, as well as trying to improve your marriage or if you regret handling the way you've handled your finances, God can use that if you will let Him to increase your humility and put less trust in your wisdom and ability, your work ethic, your financial savvy. And God can use this experience to lessen the allure of the world and all of its possessions, and to increase our contentment with God so that whether we have much or whether we have little, we're content with God. Friends, let us always be striving for our supreme purpose. In Philippians 3, 12 to 14, Paul writes these wonderful words. He says, not that I have already obtained this, speaking of sort of perfection is what Paul is referring to here, spiritual perfection, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was an incredibly godly man. And he, but he frankly admits that he had not attained the goal of likeness. So what does he do? He presses on to make that his reality. Notice he doesn't focus on what lies behind him. And I'm sure Paul had a lot of regret about his life before he knew Christ as a persecutor and murderer. But he also doesn't even focus on things that he didn't regret. He could have focused on the great accomplishments he had as an apostle, someone who started countless churches, someone who performed miracles and was mightily used by God. But Paul says, I don't look at any of those things. I focus on my supreme purpose, which is to become like Christ. He got it. And that's what I think we should do as well. Let us stay focused on our supreme purpose. So the second principle, then, to overcoming regret is to stay focused on the new creation. To stay focused on the new creation. What do I mean by that? Well, Scripture teaches that when Christ returns, he's going to establish a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. It will be like this present creation, but different in important ways. And likewise, we're going to receive our resurrection bodies to enjoy this new creation. And the Scripture describes how we're going to experience the blessings of this new creation with food that's going to top even what we had last night. It's it's going to blow away even the fellowship we had last night. There's going to be rest. There's going to be celebration. And most importantly, we're going to worship the Lord But if that were not enough, there's a couple of other things that I think will impact us as we think and wrap our minds about this whole topic of regret. To start, God will remove our regrets. Revelation 21 4 gives this wonderful promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Regret is part of the former things. The Lord is going to wipe away every tear. And I believe that, that is referring to the tears and heartache of regret. We're not going to spend the rest of eternity beaten and beleaguered by Regret. So does that mean that God just sort of erases those things out of our minds? I don't know, but my guess isn't so much that God blots those things out of our minds. It's just that we will now understand and accept them. So, for example, we will understand and accept that, yes, we did make mistakes in this life, but God used these mistakes in ways that we don't understand now, but we will understand then, and it will make sense, and we will have peace about those things. And I think we'll also see the limited impact of those regrets. Oh, we need to think about this one. Let me ask you, will it really matter that you didn't get as much education as you wanted when you are in the new creation? Or after 10 trillion years of glory, will you really care that you made some poor financial decisions in this life? You see how that kind of changes things? But that's how we need to think. In addition to removing God removing our regrets, I also was thinking about this. Some of the causes of regret will be eliminated. For example, maybe you, you, know, you, you wish that you had chosen some other profession, but now it's too late to switch. i got good news for you. That's not going to be the case in the new creation because there will no longer be any constraints of time. You'll be able to pursue endless endeavors that you like, whether it's art or music or athletics or whatever it might be. There's no more time to worry about. Or perhaps you like your job, but it's your boss. (laughs) Maybe it's your co-workers. Maybe it's the working conditions. Maybe it's the wages. That is what really disappoints you. Well, in the new creation, none of those detractions will be present. That's good news, isn't it? Or perhaps you might regret not spending enough time with friends and family. Well, if those people know the Lord, you'll be able to enjoy those relationships to the fullest. No longer will they be hindered by sin. No longer hindered by the constraints of time. I was thinking about how sometimes in in our busy, hectic, crazy lives, That it's sometimes just a blessing to be able to have a quick conversation with people that you would like to catch up with, but you just run out of time. Or maybe to sit down and have a meal with them, and it's a blessing. But can you imagine just having unlimited time with those relationships in your life that you would love to pick up on? What a blessing, right? I know personally I find it exciting. So I think at some point in my life I had the ambition that I would have no loose ends in this life. I would try to wrap it all up. But I came to a realization that, you know what, I'm going to have loose ends at everywhere I turn in my life. And I needed to stop regretting that and to say, Lord, you have something else in mind. And I look forward to picking up the loose ends of this life where everything is complete. Everything is incomplete. And if we take Scripture seriously, This current life is not the end of the story. Do you believe that? I think more like it is the first page of the story that is never going to end. Let us stay focused on the new creation. And then the third principle is to stay focused on the love of Christ. In John 15, 9, Jesus taught... As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So Jesus loves us the same way the Father loves Him. Did you get that? That means His love for us is holy and complete and steadfast. Jesus loves us Period. His love is not based on whether you make perfect choices in life. It's simply because we know Christ. We have believed in Him. He has cleansed us of our sins. We've decided to follow Him. So God does not want us, friends, to abide in the past, but He wants us to abide in Christ. It's not spiritually healthy to dwell on our past, but it is spiritually healthy to dwell on the love of Christ. And here's a great passage to remind you of God's love for you Ephesians 1 3 to 8 says. to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God chose us before time. He chose you knowing all of our foolish choices. Jesus died for us knowing about our regrets. He did it anyway. Friends, that is the reality I think we should be consumed by in our lives. Not our regrets. In closing, let me encourage you to express those lingering regrets to God. He knows them anyway, right? But we still should share our hurts. And ask God, To help you redeem, redeem those regrets. To see how God can use it, wherever you're at in your station, whatever things you might be regretting, to see how God can use that for our supreme purpose, to become like Christ. He uses all things, not some things, but all things, to become like Christ. And then finally, meditate on who you are in Christ who God is, and the promises that we have now received in Christ. Focus on that vast and infinite love that Christ has for you, and it will put, it will put regret into its proper perspective. Amen? And if you've never become a Christian, I hope today you've heard some of these glorious promises of Scripture. And that you would open your heart to receive them. But to receive them on God's terms, not our terms. He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. We come to Him empty-handed and open-handed and say, Lord, what are your terms? What? How do we receive these promises? And He tells us we must come to Him humbly, like a little child, believing in Him, trusting in Him, trusting in what He has told us, humbling ourselves that, yes, we have fallen short, not only with Foolish choices, but sinful choices as well. And so we need a Savior who will come and wash us clean of the things that we have thought of and done and said that have displeased Him. To believe in Jesus and to believe why He came. He came so that you and I might have everlasting life. and to Enjoy that new creation with God's people and Himself for all of eternity. Trust in Him today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's have a few moments of discussion, but let me first pray and ask the Lord to work this message into our hearts and minds for His glory and for our benefit. Father, we do thank You. God, that You speak to every heart and every situation. And Lord, you know every heart here. And I pray that this message today might be something that was helpful and encouraging for people. Where there might be some deep regret for things we have done, things we've not done. Things that plague our minds. There might be a leech as the quote said earlier. And even the godliest of Christians, like a Billy Graham, can have regret. Lord, teach us and remind us of our supreme purpose and to walk in that faith and trust that every circumstance, every choice, whether wise or foolish, can be used for our good, for our good, which is what you want us to shoot for. Lord, remind us of these great pictures and snapshots and hints and inklings that we see of the new creation and how once we really grasp our mind around those things, the things that we fixate so much on in this life will pale in comparison and lose their grip. And Lord, remind us that in Christ, we are not loved by You because we make perfect choices in every situation, but we're loved by You because we've chosen to believe in Christ and Him alone. So Lord, I pray that You would help us all of us, to walk in the freedom that Jesus has promised because Jesus indeed is greater. And it's in that matchless and wonderful name that we pray here this morning as a church. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.